It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Well, it's a combination of a handful of things. They, they do a great job up front getting after the quarterback. So the time that the quarterback has to throw isn't as long, and they're extremely talented in the back end in coverage. You know, they do a good job of understanding their zones, understanding their mans, uh, and understanding the scheme they're playing. That's uh, a little bit from Sean Payton talking about San Francisco's defense. Certainly going to be a challenge for the Saints this weekend, but the good news is they get them at home in the Dome, and the Saints happen to be very good when they're playing there. Join us now for his weekly segment, as he does every Tuesday around this time. Our buddy Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast and the All Saints Considered blog joins us now to talk all things Saints. Ross, what's going on, man? Angie, can we have a, do we have a Ross there? Hey, oh, there we there go. All right, now we got you. What's going on, man? <laughs> hey, brother, doing well, man. Doing well. Hope you're doing well. Also, uh, as always, man, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, pretty crazy stuff last night. I, it, it, we go into yesterday, and I'm looking at the standings, and the Saints are just behind the Niners, I'm assuming, because they had one more conference loss than the 49ers. I think that's how that worked. But with Seattle winning last night, and all three teams going to 10 and 2. Uh, somehow, some way, with the tiebreaker, the Saints sit atop the NFC right now. So, a uh, good spot to be in, but a monster game coming up on Sunday. Yeah, it's a wacky situation. Um, I tend to practice complicated uh, schedule explanations with uh, with my fiance, who loves football but doesn't really know the super intricacies of tiebreakers and things like that. <laughs> and so, uh, I, t- I took a good fifteen minutes to explain it last night, and I think I got a pretty clear way to to get it out for the podcast and everything. But yeah, it's an entirely weird situation. But because the San Francisco 49ers now fall behind uh, Seattle with that 10 and 10 tiebreaker being the head to head win by Seattle over San Francisco because they're no longer winning the division. They can't be in the top four spots. So then that ends up putting the uh, Seattle Seahawks at number one in their division, but they fall number two in the conference because of the head to head loss with New Orleans. So good thing that New Orleans was able to travel with Teddy Bridgewater in week three and get that win in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. We talked about at the time that it was a monster win. But I don't think we realize how big of a win it would be in the grand scheme of things down the stretch in terms of, you know, potential tiebreakers and all that. It is crazy to think that all three teams right here at 10 and 2 and the Packers just one game back at 9 and 3. I think it was better for Seattle to win last night than Minnesota because, you know, look, Saints don't play Minnesota, so you wouldn't have a tiebreaker situation there. But at least with Seattle and San Fran, you do. Uh, it just underlines how big this game is this weekend because if the Saints can win this, man, they are absolutely in the driver's seat for supremacy in the NFC. And just look at the rest of the schedules. Green Bay's final four games, they play the Redskins, Bears, at the Vikings, and at the Lions. They should win most of those. If they win the game at the Vikings, well, then that'll win their their division and they're in. Uh, for Seattle, the last week of the season, they play the 49ers in Seattle, and that game very well could decide the one seed, the two seed, or whatever. So a lot still to be determined here. But, again, if the Saints can win this game this Sunday, 
they control their own destiny. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the big thing is right now the Saints have the number one seed, but if they can go through and they can win this game this Sunday, it's all about controlling the number one seed in the conference at that point. And that's what you want. You want to be the team that's in there that has a, a great hold of that number one seed, which is what they would have after this win if they can get this win this weekend. Uh, and they would absolutely control the NFC at that point. Because then they go into you know a game against the Colts, then they go into the Titans, and they have a Week 17 matchup against the Panthers, which depending on how the rest of the NFC, top of the NFC, shakes out over those last couple of games, that Week 17 game in terms of seeding might not mean anything. And so if, if you're able to get to a point to where you can get through and get a win this weekend against San Francisco. That sets you up for success and, just like you said, controlling your own destiny for the rest of the season. Yeah, and obviously Carolina, I'm sure they'd like to win and play spoiler on the Saints, but on the flip side, uh, if you're a Panthers fan, you're probably thinking, hey, let's lose. We're not going to make the playoffs now. Let's just lose out and try to get a better draft pick. Um, the the game that scares me the most, Dan, because after this you play the, the, the Colts on Monday Night Football and they kind of look like they're going downhill. They're 6-6 six and six and if they lose this week, they'll be out of the playoff race. But that Tennessee Titans game on December 22nd, Titans have been kind of getting right hot as of late. Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing much better than Marcus Mariota. And Derrick Henry, man, is doing what he does seemingly every year in the second half of the season, and that's turn on the Jets and start running all over people. I just keep looking at that game as, man, it's probably going to be snowing. It's going to be cold as hell. Mm -hmm. Christmas week in Nashville, and the Titans are fighting for a playoff spot with two games remaining against the Texans. So, I just look at that game as a scary one, but if you're going to lose any of these four remaining games, that's the one to lose. Lose an AFC to an AFC opponent rather than to one of the NFC teams. Yeah, that's exactly right, because then it, it doesn't factor into your conference record for any other tiebreakers that you might run into at the end of the year. You know, Seattle can very well drop a game. If, if uh, New Orleans can beat San Francisco this weekend and then San Francisco ends up beating Seattle at the end of the season, uh, you end up with everything that you need in that point to be able to continue on as the number one seed if you can control your conference record at that point. Uh, so that would mean also having to win that Week 17 game, but the Saints still have a shot in that way. So if they end up losing a game to an AFC opponent, not as big of a deal. Uh, and certainly, I mean, look, the Tennessee Titans are probably right now one of the most quietly improved teams at this point in the season. You know, you mentioned Derrick Henry. I think he's gone over 150, 130 yards rushing in each of the last couple of games. Some of that, he's been absolutely insane. And who would have thought that, you know, Ryan Tannehill would be the, the, the savior for uh, the Tennessee Titans? at this point in the season, but they're certainly the most unpredictable team that's left on the schedule for the Saints in terms of what the question marks can be with having to travel to Tennessee and then also just what the makeup of that Tennessee team has been, the resiliency that they've shown throughout the season. Uh, I'd agree that that's the, the other game that I'm most concerned about beyond this weekend. So playing on Thanksgiving night, it feels like that game was over a week ago now. It feels so long ago. But let's rewind real quick to that game. Uh, just a quick thought. I mean, it was a game where it felt like the Saints were in control. It didn't feel like they were going to lose it. Well, late in the fourth quarter, the Falcons start turning things on and getting onside kick after onside kick. But uh, I did look at the numbers after, and the Saints only had, didn't even have 300 yards of total offense. And that was a little bit concerning uh, did you come away with any concerns for the Saints after that game on Thursday night? Um, I mean, you know, you always get a little concerned when you see an offense that is usually touted as a high-octane offense, and you know, we're accustomed to seeing a certain style of play uh, on the Saints side, uh, on the Saint, from the Saints on that side of the ball, and we just didn't see it uh, this past week. But they also didn't necessarily need it because of the play of the defense. 
defense getting nine sacks and forcing a few turnovers as well, uh, four turnovers total. And so when, when you look at what this team was able to do uh, against a division opponent in their house, coming away 10-2 and two and the NFC South champion, uh, it's hard to really gather too much concern. But certainly the, the type of play that you saw from the offense, and you, know, you had a lot of drops, you had uh, some execution issues, you had another game in which Alvin Kamara averaged over five yards on the ground per uh, carry, but only got 11 carries. Um, so you could see some of those same sort of uh, things that have been sort of pestering the Saints offense uh, all throughout the season show up again in this game. But also the game plan was just a little bit different. The game plan was altered a bit by the play of the defense and what they were allowed, you know, what they had to do. This was a game that clearly shouldn't have been as close as it was, but, you know, that four-minute defense <laughs> giving up a, a late touchdown. And then the onside kick mishaps. Uh, the hand team mishaps were all sort of helping to compound that issue and made the game a lot closer than it actually was. You mentioned Alvin Kamara, and we know he missed the game and, and you know, come back from from an injury and all that, but um, he only has one rushing touchdown on the year and one receiving touchdown, and both of those came in the same game, the third game of the season against the Seahawks in Seattle back mm-hmm. on S- September 22nd. What's going on with Kamara? Is it just kind of... Play call. I think he's actually found the end zone once or twice and been negated on penalties. So mm-hmm. I don't want to make it into something that it's not. But I know a lot of people who took Alvin Kamara high in their fantasy drafts are going, "Why is this guy not producing more?" <laughs> yeah, I think you know there are a lot of people that are concerned about Alvin Kamara, and I, I think that there is some level of concern with his usage and the the play style that the offense has gone to. But I'm not really concerned about the player himself, if that makes sense. Um, Alvin Kamara very much still producing when he gets the ball in his hands. And there's a lot of people that are saying some things about how uh, maybe he just doesn't have as much of a passion for the game anymore with Mark Ingram not there. And I I don't buy into that. Um, I think that he and Mark Ingram are very close. I think that they are still very close. Uh, They still keep in contact. But there's not a part of Alvin Kamara that's saying, I don't care about being on the field anymore because Mark Ingram's not in the locker room. I mean, you still see him very much having fun celebrating. He was on Twitter talking about how he woke up an NFC South champion, uh, talking about great win, things like that. And so he's showing you all the things that you need to see, that he's still very much dedicated to this team, and that he's still very much dedicated to the game and producing and passionate about the game when he's out on the field. Uh, but so outside of that, I mean, I think a lot of things that you're seeing is that you have to remember, too, that the last four games that the Saints have played are against the teams that have played against Alvin Kamara the most in his career so far. They've played against four straight divisional opponents here. Those are teams that did a really good job, in, uh, particularly in the passing game, making sure that there were very few one-on-ones at the catch point, very few times where he had a lot of open space at the catch point. Uh, all of that factors into what his production has been able to be. And then, of course, you've just seen the offense struggle a little bit in terms of what the play style has been. Uh, in terms of being able to move the ball and then put Alvin Kamara in position. You've seen Alvin Kamara score, but get plays called back. I'm not too concerned about what we've seen in Alvin Kamara. And in fact, I think he's going to be a big part of this game against San Francisco. And he should be a big part of the game for the rest of the season, uh, the games for the rest of the season and going into the playoffs. If nothing else, you have an Alvin Kamara now that's taken on less wear and tear than he has so far any other season, even though his usage at the beginning of the year was beyond what we had seen before. So you can be grateful for the fact that Alvin Kamara might be on some fresh legs here toward a very important stretch of the season and then into the playoffs. How concerning is it to you? We finally saw a game this this week where Michael Thomas didn't really go off. I mean, he had six catches, still was productive, but uh, you know, it turned out to be Jared Cook was was kind of the big pass catcher this week, and his production the last couple of weeks has been huge for this offense. But I think in an ideal world, you'd like to have a solid number two receiver, and at times Ted Ginn has been that, but. 
this past week, targeted once, no catches, uh, basically records no stats in this game. Um, you know, I'm looking at a guy like Traquan Smith who only has nine catches on the season. How concerned as a Saints fan should you be for them really just not having a, a good number two option as far as a, a, no, a number two wide receiver? Yeah, this is still something I'm very much concerned about and that I'm still kind of uh, shocked hasn't been. It's not that it hasn't been addressed because the Saints have tried to address it, right? They signed Des Bryant last year. They drafted Traquan Smith uh, last year as well. They've uh, they've tried to make some trades at the deadline for a, a few players, but it, the thing that's concerning is that it hasn't been able to be, be taken care of so far. I mean, when you look at this game last week, the only two wide receivers to catch a pass were Michael Thomas, who caught his six passes for 48 yards on eight targets, but also Traquan Smith, who caught two passes for 14 yards. Outside of that, another wide receiver didn't touch the ball. In fact, Ted Ginn Jr. was the only other wide receiver who was even targeted in that game, and he was targeted only once. So when you look at a game like this to where you have Jared Cook, who's got three catches for 85 yards, could have had more, uh, had a couple of drops. He could have had a touchdown as well. But when you look at that and you look at the fact that your only other wide receiver that's showing up there is Michael Thomas on a uh, a game that's subpar for him in terms of what, what expectations have become of him, um, that's one of those things where what really stands out is not necessarily a subpar uh, production from Michael Thomas in that game, but instead the fact that there's no other wide receiver really on the list. I mean, you look at your most, the, the person that maybe contributed the most outside of those two guys, and outside of Alvin Kamara, you've got Taysom Hill who caught a touchdown pass, uh, and it was a shovel pass. And so it, it's, it's not really what you want to be seeing, especially at this point in the year. It's not really what we're accustomed to seeing. We're accustomed to seeing, you know, 11 different people catch passes from Drew Brees. We're used to seeing Drew Brees able to spread the ball out, and right now he just doesn't have that in his offense because of the lack of options at the receiving uh, at the receiving side. Cam Jordan has been the lifeblood of this defense throughout the years. He just seems to get better and better with age. And I brought it with this week that the two guys at the Saints gave contract extensions to this offseason, Michael Thomas and Cameron Jordan, have both seemingly gotten better since they got those contract extensions. A lot of guys, once they get their big payday, eh, they kind of phone it in. They don't work as hard. They don't produce as much. Both those guys have seemingly gotten better uh, with Cam Jordan now at 85 career sacks. He's having a career year with 13 and a half already this season and still more to go. He jumped up uh, on the Saints all-time sack list past Pat Swilling and Wayne Martin uh, this past week. And now he's chasing the infamous Ricky Jackson, only 30 behind Ricky. And, man, if he does two, two three more good years, he can pass, surpass Ricky Jackson, who's a Hall of Famer. So uh, crazy to think that. And then I was just looking at the all-time sack list just in terms of the NFL and Cam Jordan's right there with O.C. Umanyora, who obviously had a monster years with the Giants. He passed up James Harrison, Leroy Glover. Uh, if he gets one more, he'll tie Willie McGinnis. So he's in a really rare uh, company in terms of sacks, and a couple more, he'll be top 50 all time. That's really, really incredible. And, uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely, when you look at the guys that got the extensions this year, the guys that there were people that were saying, particularly with Michael Thomas's contract, but people were very concerned, oh, if you give them that extension, what if they don't perform? And it's just not the case with the culture uh, in the Saints locker room. And you see both of these guys uh, still performing. And Cam Jordan, you know, the thing that's so special about him is not only, I mean, we're looking at his sack numbers, but you can also look at his tackle for loss numbers. You can look at his, his play in the run game. He's somebody that has been an all-around asset for the Saints, the defense and defensive line for his entire career in New Orleans. That's one of the things that makes him so special. Like, yes, 
He's an incredible uh, producer when it comes to the pass rush. But when the Saints drafted him, they didn't actually even draft him for to be a pass rusher. They drafted him to play five tech, so he was really a run defender. And then he, you know, he picked a, he picked up his game as a pass rusher throughout his development in the NFL. And so he's somebody that really is an all around guy that really deserves the contract that he's gotten and the fact that he was able, that he was willing to do it so that he can stick around be, as he calls it, a legacy guy, and chase that Ricky Jackson sack record. He's, I mean, he's doing everything that uh, he, he wanted for himself after getting that extension, so it's exciting to see. And he's going to play a really big role in this next game against the San Francisco 49ers, for sure. All right, you, you said it. Let's get into this preview in this game, because I watched the 49ers over the weekend against the, uh, the Ravens, and man, what a slugfest that game was. Now, I know the weather was miserable, and uh, you know, Baltimore's maybe a little bit of a predictable team in that you know Lamar Jackson's going to run a whole lot. But, <laughs> man, that was just a slugfest of two really good defenses going up against one another. And, you know, thankfully the Ravens won. We were rooting for Justin Tucker and those guys to get it done. They did. But uh, what have you seen out of this team? And defensively up front, man, it seems like they have gotten after uh, pocket passers like Drew Brees. Now, I thought Thursday night the, the broadcast crew did a pretty good job of showing with the fact that the Saints were without Andrews Pete and without Armstead on the left side, that Drew Brees' M.O. was to get the ball out quick. And I think, what, it was like 2.2 seconds he was releasing to get rid of the football. So i got to think that's going to be the Saints' M.O. again this week with the pass rushers that the 49ers have. But uh, what's the game plan, man? How do you attack this uh, San Fran defense? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it in the passing game is going to be those quick passes, take advantage of the chemistry between Drew Brees and Michael Thomas, particularly on those slant routes, which they also did a great job covering on Thursday night. Uh, be able to use all of that quick passing uh, offense in order to get that, that passing offense rolling. But really, this game is really going to kind of come down to what the Saints are going to be able to do on the ground. I mentioned that I think Alvin Kamara is going to be a big part of the game plan this week. I think that you can see that, too, with Latavius Murray. And even a little Taysom Hill sprinkled in as well. This is around the time where Taysom Hill's role usually starts to take form for the Saints uh, toward the, the last quarter of the season. And I think that that's going to be a, a big part of what's going to allow the Saints to get away with a win this weekend. If they can do it, it's going to be what they do on the ground. When you look at the four, you can sort of identify four games in which uh, San Francisco struggled the most. And that would be the two losses, of course, to Seattle and, and to Baltimore. And then two games that they played against Arizona, which they, they struggled with a lot, division opponents, you know, last-second wins, things like that. And so when you look at those four games, the four games in which San Francisco allowed the most rushing yards were in those very four games, 135 yards or more. And then they allowed, um, in, in both of those losses, Seattle ran the ball 34 times, Baltimore ran the ball 38 times. So it's really going to be about the Saints being able to control the run game on both sides. So we'll talk about the defense, of course, as you know them in run defense and what they need to do against San Francisco. But over on the offensive side of the ball, this is going to be a game where it's going to be really important to keep the ball on the ground and then establish their run game and try to get out to an early lead uh, and then be able to considerably con- uh, continue the run game and then keep it going through throughout the entire game. Yeah, I am curious. If, the, if Baltimore, let's say, had been 70 degrees and sunny on Sunday, you know, what would the mm-hmm. would it have looked different? Would there have been more points scored? i got to think there would have been. But I'm just trying to take get a good sample size of, okay, what kind of offenses has San Francisco faced? And really, when we talk about the teams that they've played throughout the year, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Tampa, Cleveland, I'm not like, I don't see great offenses that they've played outside of Seattle, and that game ended up being over an overtime game. Now, they did get after Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay last week, but or two weeks ago, but I'd argue they're maybe a little bit one-dimensional. But regardless, <laughs> I feel like maybe they haven't seen an offense like the Saints. Uh, on the flip side, you talk about their run game, but... 
Garoppolo just seems to be up and down for me this year. He's had some good games, some games where he's thrown a lot of yards, but uh, it seems like this def- Saints defense is going to want to get after him. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the things with uh, with sort of my key for the Saints defense is is make Jimmy Garoppolo throw the ball. The more that Jimmy Garoppolo throws the ball, the less productive the offense is and the, the worse that the team performs over there. Um, when you have those games to where – you know, uh, San Francisco's running for, I think they ran for 34 yards only against Arizona in the second game that they played in week 12. And that was a game in which, look, they scored a lot of points and they put up a lot of, uh, and they put up a lot of yards on the passing side, but the team itself struggled. Same thing with that San Francisco, I'm sorry, with the Seattle game. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball a ton in that game and the run game was pretty limited. And so the more that you can do that, the more that you can force San Francisco to be one dimensional in the way that they don't want to be, which is in the passing game the better off your defense is going to be able to perform. Jimmy Garoppolo, too, is a very basic passer, uh, not to speak ill of anybody, but he's a pretty basic passer. He gets all of his yards mostly up the middle, and the Saints are a middle-of-the-field closed defense, and they play those cover ones and cover threes pretty well so far this season thanks to the way that uh, Von Bell has developed and also to the way that uh, Marcus Williams has played so far this year. He's playing at a Pro Bowl level. And so when you look at that and you look at the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo gets most of his yards up the middle, you look at the play of Demario Davis, uh, that actually shapes up pretty well for the Saints' passing defense in terms of if you're going to f- be able to force San Francisco to throw the ball, your defensive scheme matches up pretty well with what Jimmy Garoppolo needs to rely on. He is Ross Jackson. Locked on Saints is the podcast, and uh, All Saints Considered is the uh, the website. Uh, let our listeners know what you got uh, going up there this week. Yeah, so the next thing that I'm doing throughout these uh, next couple of days is just going to be getting everybody ready for the uh, the San Francisco game, uh, so you can check that out. Uh, we've got Brian Peacock coming on. He does the Locked On NFL podcast, the national podcast, as well as the Locked On 49ers podcast, so we'll do the crossover episode tomorrow. Today's episode is all about looking at where San Francisco struggled the most and how New Orleans can replicate that same kind of game and sort of create a game in which uh, it puts San Francisco in the place to where they've struggled uh, the most throughout the season. And then other than that, just throughout the rest of the week, just getting you ready for the big game on Sunday. Again, if the Saints win this one, it's huge. It's huge for them to take control of the NFC and that number one seed. So you can find the Locked on Saints podcast on any of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, wherever it is that you want to do. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, ASC. And then you can check out the AllSaintsConsidered.com blog as well. Awesome, Ross. Great stuff as always, man. We'll do it again next week. And uh, quick prediction, do you think the Saints win on Sunday? Uh, thanks, man. Always looking forward to it. Appreciate it. Uh, I do think that the Saints can win this game, and I think that they will win this game. I think the home okay. crowd is going to be a big part of affecting Jimmy Garoppolo. And if the Saints can make Jimmy Garoppolo throw the ball, the home crowd is going to be a huge factor in that. And I think the defense can do that. I think it's going to be a close one, but I think that the Saints are going to be able to, to squeeze it out there. Uh, what, minus, favored minus three right now, uh, which is basically home field advantage on a push, but I think yeah. they can cover that. Uh, and keep it somewhere around a, a 21 to 26 type of close victory within five points or so. Yeah, you sound like me. I think the Saints can win. Yeah, uh, we'll yeah. see. Uh, <laughs> Ross, we'll do it again next week, man. Thanks for the time. Always, brother. Always. Take care. All right, thanks, man. Ross Jackson, they're all Saints. Consider them the Locked On Saints podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.